Thank you so much for being here. My name is Thomas Lane, and this is our podcast. Every Monday, we release the latest message from our church, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss it. We hope this word encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Ordinarily on a day like this, I'd have my family up here, and it would be a really sweet moment, but my kids have had way too many M&Ms. Any any other parents? Can you second that? I made the mistake of leaving the M&Ms on the counter. And I don't know how many they got into, but the bag was way lighter, okay, when I got to it the second time. So I have a picture of my family. I hope that, I hope that'll do. This is my lovely wife, Helen. She's a beautiful, godly woman. She's amazing. Um, that's my oldest son, Thomas the fourth, T4, we call him. And the baby is little Dempsey. Is anyone else the baby? Is anyone else the baby? And you know you're the favorite. A few of y'all are celebrating that. He thinks he's the favorite too. Um, I, when, when it comes to church, a lot of us, um, you know, a lot of us grew up only going to church at Christmas and Easter. And um, Christmas has a massive advantage because Christmas is like a season, right on. You know when Christmas is coming. The music starts way too early. I think I read somewhere they're going to start it in like July this year. I don't know, it was voted or something. Some of y'all crazies are excited about that. You've absolutely lost your mind, okay? Um, the stores get ready early. There's shows. There's movies. There's Christmas cookies. It's, it's like, it feels more like a season. Easter always kind of sneaks up. It sneaks up. You know how, though, that's how I know Christmas is coming. You know how I know Easter's coming? Because I see the Reese's eggs at 7-Eleven. I'm like, oh, Easter's, Easter's on the way. Like, oh, like, that's not cool, man. Easter gets completely overlooked and shortchanged. I'm glad you're here. But Easter is critically important to our faith and um, maybe the most really pivotal moment of, in the history of humankind. So we have to look into it. No offense to Reese's. I love you and your eggs. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start verses 1 through 5. Luke is an early account about the life. This is eyewitnesses about the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Join me. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Um, just so you know, Jesus had been crucified Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath. They were resting. Sunday, they were going to essentially prepare him for his burial, you know, cover him with oils and spices and all that good stuff. But here's what I want you to know. They were not looking for a risen Lord. They were expecting a dead Jesus. They were expecting something dead. If they were looking for the risen Lord, they wouldn't have brought the spices. They would have been like, let's go. Let's see if he's there. No one was like, is he resurrected? Is he back? No one was thinking that. Wasn't on their radar. They were defeated. They were done. They got their spices, which had value, by the way. And they went to the tomb. I think some of us, thousands of years later, when we come to church, when we come to a place of faith, we're still doing the same thing. We're expecting something dead. Maybe it's routine, maybe it's habit, maybe you're like, maybe, maybe you were dragged here. Maybe someone drugged you to get you here. Maybe someone bribed something terrible, all right? They bribed you, they made all kinds of promises they probably won't be able to keep, but they made promises just to get you to church. Um, let's keep an open mind today, because there is nothing about my Jesus that is dead, There is nothing about interacting with the Lord and our Savior, the King, Jesus. Nothing about him is dead. It is He's absolutely alive. And everything about him is absolutely life-changing and world-changing. So if you came today expecting something dead, you're about to be like these women. You're about to have your life completely changed. If you actually look, if you actually listen and lean in and read this, your world will actually be completely changed. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They're still looking for a dead Jesus. They're still looking for a body. Now, I, I want to address the skeptics for a moment. I went through a period um, in college where, you know, I was raised in church, but everyone, I think, has this period in some, in some fashion where you're like, is this real? Like, are these just traditions? Are these just stories? Like, is this, is this legit? Some of you are there right now, right on, and you saw a History Channel documentary, and you're like, I'm convinced this is made up. It was right after Ancient Aliens, and it was on History Channel, so you're like, it's all, it's all a sham, obviously. This is the most important question you're ever going to answer in your entire life. I think we should look into this. I think we should take the time, and I think we should look into this. The most common alternate theory as to what happened in Jesus' body is that it was stolen. Have you heard that? Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was placed in the tomb, but the disciples came by and they wanted to make it seem real, Kelby. They wanted to make it seem like he was risen, so they hid his body. Um, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just think about it. That's so stupid. That's so stupid. And I used to think that. I'm like, maybe that's what happened. No. Why would you lie if it does not benefit you? There's a lot of people, politicians especially, who lie because it helps them. It benefits them. These people had no, absolutely no reason to lie. Zero. Okay? It would have been really easy. Other people claim to be the Messiah. It would have been so easy to say, hey, he's, he's, he didn't resurrect. He's still there. Just to be like, you know, that's hard, but let's move on. Let's move on with our lives. No, no, no. They claimed that he had risen from the dead because they saw him. They touched him. They ate with him for days and days and days. Why would you lie if it doesn't benefit you? Because it's one thing. It's one thing to say, well, um, we, we stole his body and we lied about it. Because, you know, maybe if it, if it gave you power, that would be a good reason, or money, or fame, or land, or fortune. But no, these people, if they're lying, all they had waiting for them was death. Exclusion from their communities. Some of these people, you know, who followed Jesus, right? They were, they were, they were tied up in stadiums and had wild animals attack them. Right? These people who were lying, right, about the resurrection, some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were crucified. This is how sick the Romans were. They would be crucified in these stadiums, and people would watch. And when the sun started to go down, they'd say, oh, we need someone to turn the lights on. It's getting a little dark. And they would douse the Christians with tar and pitch and light them on fire as torches. Why would you lie about this if that was what's waiting for you? It would have been so easy to be like, we're wrong, we're sorry. The reason they were talking about the resurrection is because it happened. It's the only logical thing that makes sense about these following events. Of why Jesus' followers didn't just abandon the idea altogether. Why they doubled down? Because they saw him. They touched him. They lived with him. And here's what you need to know. Because the women went into the tomb. You saw that. You, you, you saw them go into the tomb. I always thought the tomb was open so Jesus could get out. Right? That's what I thought. Duh. Right? He, he's resurrected and he moves the stone and he walks out. But friends, the tomb was not open so Jesus could get out. The tomb was open so we could get in. So we could look around. So we could explore. So we could say, huh, I don't know about that. Does that make sense? What's going on here? In the Gospel of John, the word he uses that they saw it was theoreo. It's where we get our word theorize. They were theorizing, well, is, was he resurrected? What about this? Could that have happened? They are thinking, they're reasoning. God called you, God made you smart, and he called you to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Think. Some of us were raised in a home where when it came to things of faith, it was kind of just like shut up and believe it. 
Don't ask too many questions. Shut up and believe it. And if your kids are asking questions, nurture that. Answer them. Talk. Wrestle with them. It is a good thing to wrestle through these things. The tomb wasn't open to let Jesus out. The tomb was open to let us in. And I want to challenge everyone in this room to actually give this, not a 20-minute documentary on History Channel, actually look at this. Actually explore it. Actually read the Scriptures. Come to church and figure it out because there's no important question. There's no more important question. Friends, eternity hangs in the balance. Easter's not about eggs, it's about eternity. And it's worth looking into. I think the reason we don't give Easter the, what it's worth is we don't understand it. <laughs> I don't think we do. Um, if you went to someone at the ocean front, I mean, it's been nice lately. Has anyone been outside? It's nice, it's great. I was at New Realm yesterday, and I was thinking, okay, what if I just went up to a stranger and said, what's Easter about? Tell me about Easter. Or if I was at the ocean front, I'd tell me about Easter. Or at the gym, what do you think about Easter? I would say most people would say, it inspires me. It makes me feel cozy. It's like spiritual sweatpants. Warm and cozy and nice. And it shows me that after winter, there's spring. And after tragedy, there's triumph. It's a, that's what God said about Easter. It's like spiritual sweatpants. Now, when, they, when the first followers of Jesus learned about the resurrection, no one said, oh, they were terrified. Watch. Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, the women, they're thinking, what, what could have happened? Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. I wonder if it was sweatpants. Gleaming, awesome sweatpants. It could be. The Scripture doesn't say, it doesn't say it's not. They stood beside them in their fright. Somebody say fright. Not cozy, not awe. That, whoa. Okay, they bowed down with their faces to the ground. We're going to go to verse 41a, and this is talking about the resurrection. While they still did not believe, they didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. Nobody's cozy. This is not like spiritual sweatpants. See, see the, there's fright. There's unbelief. They're, they're trying to reason it. There's joy. There's amazement. In order to understand why we feel awe and they felt, ah, we have to look at the Scripture we got to figure out why, why there's such a discrepancy. And in order to look at Sunday morning, we got to start at Friday afternoon when Jesus was crucified. Follow me to John 19, verse 30. Jesus is on the cross. He's been there for hours, and he's about to die. This is the account from John. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And now with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The challenge with growing up in church or being a Christian for decades is some things we're just jaded to. We're just jaded. We hear it. It doesn't hit you. It doesn't hit you. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's finished. It's finished. Did anyone grow up in church? Who am I talking to today? Okay. Good chunk, you guys. A lot of you are new to church, figuring it out, kind of exploring. That is awesome. That's great. If you saw Jesus Christ up on the cross, say, it is finished. That is not a statement of victory. That's a statement of defeat. If you were looking at him, and he was the hope of the world, he was supposed to be the one to rescue us. He was supposed to be the one to save us. He was supposed to be the son of God the, 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 in the line of David to sit on the throne forever, and he's being murdered. He's being crucified. It's finished. My hope is finished. My joy is finished. My eternity is finished. He was supposed to be the one. We saw him walk on water. We saw him heal the blind. We saw him heal the deaf. We saw him. And now he's dying. And his final words sound like a statement of loss and defeat. It's finished. His ministry's finished. 
His life is finished. The movement is finished. I think if you had heard his, him say on the cross, it's finished, you'd walk away and say, you know what, it is finished. It's finished. We had our hopes in him. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the son of God. Kill him, come to save us from death itself. But it's finished. I want to ask you, have you ever looked at something and said it's finished? Are you looking at something right now and you say it's finished? It can be a relationship. You're trying, you're trying. You had hopes and excitement about it, but you're like, it's finished. It's finished. It could be a career path. You're like, man, I feel like God's called me to this. I feel like he's saying this. But when you look back, you realize, man, it may be finished. It could be something the pandemic took from you that you're looking at. And deep down, you might not admit it, but you may say, it's finished. Maybe an addiction you've tried to break for so long and you're about to give up. You're like, it's finished. What's the point? Some of you, I think your faith is, you may feel your faith is finished. If we can be real, you may say, you know, I used to pray. I don't really think about God anymore. I don't really pray to him. I don't really talk to him anymore. I'm kind of focused on my family, my career, and this and that. And I don't, it's, it's, it's finished. Don't say it out loud, but think, what's that thing? What's that thing where you can honestly say, I think it might be finished? It's a place of disappointment. It's a place of difficulty. It feels so final. It feels so ended. But what I wanted to tell you today is that only God can take a period and make it a comma. Only my God can take something that is meant to be an ending that feels like an ending and make it a comma, make it a pause, make it a transitional time. Only my God can take a period and make it a comma. Only my God can take an instrument of death, the cross, and make it an instrument of life. Only my God can take a statement of failure and darkness, it's finished, and turn it into a chant of victory. It is finished. Because Jesus Christ on the cross, he was not saying hope is gone. He was saying hope is just beginning. He was not saying it's all lost. He's saying, I finally have won them over. Because you know what was finished? Your salvation was finished. That's what Jesus Christ was doing. That's what was finished. He was paying the penalty for your sin and for you walking away from God. He was taking it all. The full wrath of God was coming down on him on the cross. He paid it in full and he said, it is finished. Only my God, only my God can take this statement of depression. It's finished and turn it into this triumphant cheer. It is finished. That's the power of my God. Because the gospel is this. The, well, let me start with what the gospel is not. A, a lot of you came to church your whole life, and you've heard that here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be really good and act like Jesus really hard. And if you do it well enough, at the end of your life, you'll die, and you'll stand before God or Peter or somebody, right? And they'll say, you made it or you didn't. You had enough good or you didn't. But salvation is not a distant concept. Salvation comes now, and it's not a matter of earning. It's a matter of receiving. It's a matter of receiving. Here's the gospel, that we are more sinful and flawed than we would ever believe. But at the exact same time, through the work of Jesus Christ, we are more loved and accepted and cherished and made whole than we could ever dare hope. That's the good news. The good news is not on you. And if it was, you couldn't do it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. That's what he's talking about. That's, that, that's what's finished. It's been done. It's been achieved. It's finished. Imagine looking at the cross. You know they did. Looking up at Jesus on the cross, the hope of the world, the light of the world, snuffed out by darkness on the cross, and thinking, this is what I would have thought, thinking, what could God possibly do through that? 
How could God possibly bring any good out of that situation? But in reality, God may have been closer than ever before. God was working out His plan to save them right before their eyes. Is it possible? Is it possible that you're in that exact situation right now? Not in the sense that God is saving you, but in the sense of God is doing something and you're looking at it and you feel abandoned, you feel lost, you feel like He's turned His back on you, you feel like He he might not even exist anymore when in reality, He's closer than ever before. When in reality, He's working a plan to show you how much He loves you right before His eyes. Because Jesus said it is finished, God is not finished with us. Because He said on that cross, it is finished. Our God is not finished with us. It's just the beginning. We thought it was a period. No, no, no. It's just a comma. Some of you are there right now. You thought it was a period. You thought God was done with you. You thought you screwed up too many times, gone too far. No, no, no. If Jesus is in your life, it's just a comma. The story continues. Watch. But the men said to them, remember the men with the dazzling sweatpants? Do you remember them? It's a weird image you got. I like it. Somebody's going to send me dazzling sweatpants and I'll wear them right here. But the men, I don't, I'm kidding. I won't. But the men said to them, I know someone's going to say, they're going to be in my office on Monday. I have a feeling. Um, why do you look? It's a great question. This is a sermon right here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? What are you doing? Why do you look for the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hand of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then, And they remembered his words. I want you to see it took three days. His story isn't over, and you need to know your story isn't over. We need a shift. Because people of faith do this all the time. People not in faith, people of faith do this all the time. We have this idea, when God isn't working according to my expectations or my timeline or exactly how he's supposed to do it, then he's not working. And a lot of us feel abandoned. We feel like let down. We feel abandoned, like God's mad at us, that he hates us. We feel like God's abandoned us. But what if, friends, what if? What if sometimes it just takes God three days to set up a miracle? Because I heard this said, I want to share with you, my God sets up resurrections through crosses. That's what my God does. That's what He did then. That's what He might be doing now. But guys, we need to make this shift because some of you, it feels like Friday, doesn't it? Your hope is lost. It feels like Saturday. You're like, God's abandoned me. He's not real. Who even cares anymore? You have no hope. But I want you to know Sunday's coming. It may feel like Friday. It might seem like Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Let me say that again. It might feel like Friday. For some of y'all, it might seem like Saturday, but my God is not finished. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. God is not finished in your family. Sunday's coming. God is not finished in your heart. He's not finished with your faith. Sunday's coming. My God is not finished with this world because of Easter, because of the resurrection. My God lives. Sunday's coming. It's coming. We can celebrate that on Easter Sunday. Somebody celebrate that. Now, if you feel a sense of joy and hope with Easter, that is great. You absolutely should. Yes, you should. But I think maybe the biggest thing that Jesus accomplished was it joy? Yes. Was it heaven for us? Yes, absolutely. But I think the biggest thing we can't forget is that Jesus Christ on Easter, he destroyed death. 
Let's not miss that. I heard a preacher saying the other day, and this is something I had always kind of wondered. Sorry, that was weird. It's something I kind of always thought about. I'm like, oh, that, that's kind of a cool perspective. And this is a cool way to say it. It was Tim Keller. He said this. He said this. Um, weren't there other people resurrected in the Bible, right? Like Jesus raised people from the dead. Other people raised people from the dead. Like, is Jesus' resurrection so special? Yes. Because, for example, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Maybe you've heard that story. If not, read it. It's in the, it's in the book of John. And, but when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus was raised to die again. Right? Jesus essentially just snatched him from the teeth of death. Lazarus was going to die one day, but Jesus kind of delayed it. He snatched him from it. When Jesus died and was resurrected, he didn't just get snatched from the teeth of death. Jesus Christ broke the teeth of death. He shattered the teeth of death because death no longer has its sting. It no longer has, it no longer has its victory. Jesus Christ has a victory because you will die. Yes, you will. You might, but listen. It's just a shadow of its former self because if you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Jesus said that nothing will snatch us from his hand. If you're in Christ, if you've gone to the Father through the Son, nothing can snatch us from his hand. It's difficult for me, being a communicator, to try to communicate what exactly Jesus did. There's nothing like it, and it's so abstract. Um, even those people there had a tough time really understanding it. So I heard a story the other day, and I'd like to share it with you. Helen and I were visiting her grandfather. Her grandfather is a World War II vet. He turns 96 this week. It is awesome. Sitting with that dude, I mean, you can clap for him. I love that. Clap for the man. I mean, he, what a legacy. But to sit with him, he fought in the Pacific Theater. The stories he has... The, the legacy. This man has been a Christian for like, I think over 70 years, maybe 75 years. Just the wisdom and the perspective is absolutely unparalleled. It's amazing. And he didn't share the story with me, but it got me thinking of what I heard a preacher say one day. I wanted to share with you during World War II in the Pacific theater, a lot of American um, soldiers were, were essentially, you know, captured, uh, you know, prisoners of war, prisoners of war. And the Japanese camps had a reputation for being very tough, very brutal, very tough working conditions. And they would work hard all day. The soldiers would work hard all day long. And at the end of the day, the guards would come through and they would count the supplies. They didn't want the, the, the prisoners to steal anything, right? So they counted shovels and pickaxes and tools. They didn't want a guard to get attacked or anything like that. So one day, after an especially gruel day of labor in the hot hot sun. The end of the day was upon us and the guards counted all the supplies. And one shovel was missing. So they counted again. One shovel was missing. They had 49 shovels, let's say. 49. They had 49 shovels. They needed 50. So they started to question the prisoners. Was it you? Was it you? No one would fess up. No one would own it. And so finally they said, okay, 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 fine. No one will admit it. That's fine. They lined them all up and they said, listen, we're going to kill you one by one until you admit who took it. Who was it? They line them all up. No one will admit it. The guard says, fine. Loads his weapon, aims it at the first guy's head. He's right at his head. One guy down the line raises his hand, steps forward. He said, I did it. He said, it was me. I'm guilty. Instantly, he was killed. Instantly, he was killed. He died. His brothers could continue to live. Their story could continue. Well, it turns out, Later that day, they did a recount of the shovels. And there was 50 there all along. 
a shovel had not gone missing. That man, I do not know his name, he was innocent. But he understood something. He said, if I don't die, everyone else will die. He stepped forward and you need to know, Jesus Christ did the exact same thing for you. He stood in line with us. He stood beside us. He was innocent, not just innocent of stealing a shovel or committing a crime, truly innocent, truly holy before God. He stepped forward knowing if I don't die, they'll all die. He died in our place. So our story could continue because there was a period there. We deserve an end. We, we deserve, we've all walked away from God. We've all turned our back from God. We don't deserve a story. We don't deserve a future. But God, in his infinite mercy, sent his son to bear your sin, to take your shame. And he stepped forward. He said, kill me. He did that on the cross so all of us could live. All of us could continue. Not just temporarily, y'all, but forever. If you're a person of faith, listen to me. If you're a Christian, listen to me. Imagine just for a second what it would have been like for one of those soldiers to go home. Knowing for the rest of your life, I'm only here because someone innocent died for me. It would change everything. Y'all, their story continued. They got to go home. They got to see their homes again. They got to see their wives again. They got to have children. They got to grow up. They got to have grandchildren. They got to have a legacy because one was willing to say no. Jesus' story was ended so our story could continue. And what the resurrection means is that he is alive and victorious forevermore. Friends, he invites us to be a part of that. It's not something you earn. It's not something you certainly don't deserve. It's a gift of free, radical grace that's been given to you. I want to ask you, what's your period? What's that thing in life? You know it. What's that thing that it, it feels like it's dead, it stops, it's done. Today, friends, let God put a comma there. Because because of Easter, because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, my God is not finished. He's not finished in your life. Friends, as we go to a time of praise again, would you stand to your feet all across the room? I'm going to speak something over you. Would you stand to your feet? I think I may be speaking to some people who might need a rewrite, who might need to come over and type a few different things, may need a little bit of a change of course for their life. Because if we can be honest, you've been running from God your entire life. And I want you to know there is a joy accessible to you. There is an eternity accessible to you. There is hope and forgiveness and a restart accessible to you right now in this moment. Thank you so much for listening. To hear more, make sure to subscribe and check out the channel for past content. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate it. And please also consider sharing it with a friend. You can text it to a friend or post it on social and tag at Ascent Church VA. For more content from Ascent and to connect with Ascent Church, please visit ascentchurch.net. Your best days are ahead of you. The future is bright. See you next time.